Hi there! You're about to listen to a vintage episode of the Under the Microscope podcast. While the content is still as relevant and as interesting as when it was recorded, our webpage has changed. You can now find us at thesciencetalk.com slash real-scientist-nano. Welcome to Under the Microscope. This series is brought to you by the Real Scientists Nano team. Our goal is to provide a platform where scientists can communicate their work and interact with the public. With that in mind, every week we introduce you to a scientist working in the field of materials and nanoscience who would be curating the RealSci underscore nano Twitter account. Hi everyone, today we have with us Karen Jarvis, who is a senior research engineer at Swinburne University of Technology in Melbourne, Australia. Hi Karen, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks, how are you? I'm good, ready to take a deeper dive into your science. So let's start by understanding your career so far. So tell us about your scientific journey so far as a research engineer, senior research engineer. Um, in Australia? <laughs> it's been really interesting. So I was never particularly interested in science as a young kid. I was overall quite academically gifted. So I did fairly well at a lot of subjects and I never really knew what I wanted to do. I got to the end of high school and I thought, oh, do I want to do something with maths? Do I want to do something geography? You know, think subjects I really liked, but I couldn't really see how I could apply those sort of things in a career. And I thought, I like science, I like chemistry, uh, why not? <laughs> so I didn't really think about it much more than that. And I actually found a degree at the University of South Australia, and that was a 100% chemistry degree. So it wasn't like a science degree where I had to do majors and minors. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's, that sounds interesting. So I enrolled in that. And I actually really loved that degree because it meant that in second and third year, I did four uh, chemistry subjects each semester and it meant I got to spend every afternoon in the lab which I really enjoyed mm-hmm. uh, and then I kind of didn't really think about it any more than that I got to the end of my three-year degree and I thought well I don't know what I want to do so maybe I'll go and do a one-year honours program which is kind of the way that we do it in Australia you do a three or four-year degree with or without honours uh, so I did a one-year honours project where I did part coursework and kind of, and then part research, which was my first real opportunity to do my own research project, which I really enjoyed. And then again, thought, oh, I kind of like this. So I stayed at the same institution, University of South Australia, and did a uh, PhD. And that was looking at modifying surfaces for drug delivery. Mm-hmm. And again, I really enjoyed that, really enjoyed the independency But I didn't, again, have a strong feeling about what I wanted to do afterwards. I didn't necessarily want to have an academic career, but I also didn't necessarily want to get an industry job. And industry jobs aren't as common in Australia as they are in other areas, because I guess a lot of R&D companies don't do R&D in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought, oh, maybe I'll I'll, I'll do a postdoc. A postdoc seems like a good idea. And when I graduated in 2010, it was the global financial crisis. You know, internationally, jobs weren't as easy to come by as perhaps I would have hoped. I had a couple of interviews for overseas postdocs, didn't get one. And then an opportunity came up 
at the University of South Australia. So I stayed on and did a three-year postdoc, which initially I wasn't super keen on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it's an opportunity. And But I was even saying to someone today, if I hadn't taken that postdoc, I wouldn't be doing what I do today. Um, it was my first foray into plasma polymerization. It was a really well-funded project, so it means I got to travel. I supervised a PhD student. I got to write you know, papers. Uh, it was my supervisor was let me work quite independently so I learned a lot about how to do research and how to manage a project and things like that so that was three years that came to an end and I didn't have another job to go to Um, but luckily another one came up in Sydney so I was working in Adelaide which is where I'm originally from so from Adelaide to Sydney it's about 2,000 kilometres away so I got a job doing a second postdoc at the Australian National uh, sorry, Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation. I've got too many Australian nationals in my head, uh, which is a federal, federally funded government lab, which has Australia's one and only nuclear reactor, which is a research reactor. So I moved to Sydney for two years and there I was working on a project on uh, creating thin films for protecting organic solar cells. So again, this theme of surface modification, thin film deposition, but going from drug delivery to water treatment, which was my first postdoc, which I didn't say, and then um, solar cells. Mm-hmm. And I was in Sydney for two years. I really enjoyed that. Um, but when that was about coming to an end, um, my partner, who I met during my PhD, he was in Italy doing a postdoc, so we were separated for four years. And his postdoc finished up and he moved. To, he got a job in Melbourne. So I thought, oh, well, if, even if I don't have another job to go to, I'll – just moved to Melbourne and see what happens. But I knew a professor from Melbourne who I'd visited a couple of years before and had met at a conference and things like that and had talked to her. She worked in plasma polymerization and she said, oh, I've got somebody leaving. If he leaves, you'd be really good for that job. And then six months later, Australia Science is quite small. So I heard from a mutual friend that he had announced that he was leaving. So I sent her an email and she phoned me back and she says, I've oh, got this job for you it's only a short-term contract so you can have it um and that was six years ago and I'm still at Swinburne University of Technology looking into plasma polymerization and managing this open access user facility that we have that sounds really really cool wow from not being um well yeah I'm academically inclined well not really I'm just gifted to being uh being a research engineer senior research engineer now at Swinburne at that Swinburne 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 in Australia in Melbourne It's quite a lot of different labs that you've worked at, and that sounds really, really cool. And also the work that you define, we'll talk more about it, of course, later on, but this sounds really amazing. I mean, traveling scientist within Australia, let's let's put it that way, lab hopping. Which is not not actually that uncommon. I mean, I guess, you know, people probably do it in, in Europe or America, but yeah, it's kind of the same in Australia. Like, there's people I know now who you know I've lived in different cities at the same time with who people I used to work with at one institution and now somewhere else and I still work with them so yeah it kind of you sometimes when you meet somebody like oh where are you now because it's just just the way it happens especially I think in the early part of your career you know if you've only got you know short-term postdocs you you go where the jobs are basically true absolutely absolutely and I hope now you're very very happy with the job Um, I am I do enjoy it (laughs) 
It, it, it sounds like that. So that brings me to the next question, which is, I mean, you already spoke uh, about your current research in the short podcast, but where does it fit in this big picture of materials or nanoscience? Because it's quite a broad field, right? Material science. So where does it fit in? Yeah, so mine really fits in with the sort of nanoscience area. So I've talked a little bit about these thin films that mm -hmm. I deposited. And that's, it's really that kind of interface. It is actually the interface of nanoscience and materials because we're putting a nanometer thin coating on a material. Mm -hmm. So I said in the short podcast that surfaces are really important and they control how a material interacts with the environment around it. So I've, I used a few examples. And one of the examples I like to use is say a hip implant. So, you know, you might take a piece of steel, which we all know what a hip implant looks like, and to put it in the body for its structural properties. So, you know, the person, their leg needs to work and to move. But the material properties that that hip, hip implant has for strength aren't necessarily properties that serve the surface particularly well. So if you just say put a piece of metal in the body, you might have a couple of different responses. Your body might reject it because your cells in your body aren't actually interacting with it, or you might actually get what they call a foreign body response. So the cells in your body might attack that and then your body mm -hmm. will reject it. Mm -hmm. So by putting different coatings on these types of materials, you can really manipulate the way that proteins or anything in sort of solution around that object um, interact with it. So you might want to attract proteins or attract certain types of cells so that material integrates into the body or you might want to put coatings on it that repel bacteria so it doesn't get infected mm -hmm. or there's a lot of work with like drug um what they call drug eluting material so you might actually absorb uh antibiotics onto the surface so that mm -hmm. then over time they're released so that you know this foreign body foreign material in your body your body doesn't recognize it as foreign mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay okay wow that that sounds really cool and it sounds to me that you have been not just your current research but also in the past also, you have been involved with in a lot of interesting research projects um yeah. so this is a the next question is a difficult one i know that before even asking it um, if you have to pick one research project that you're most proud of or the most fun or quirky one, could you pick one and explain it to us in simple words in the section we call In Other Words? This this is a hard question. And I, I did think about it. I'm, I guess everybody probably says that. I'm proud of all of the work that I've done. But right. I, I think my first postdoc was because, as I said before, it wasn't a project that I was super keen on to start with, but I, I really came to love it. I got the opportunity to supervise a PhD student and, you know, together we, you know, had a lot of publications. We spoke at a lot of conferences. It was a really productive time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the research we did really added to the body of work in that area. So I, I briefly mentioned that we were working on water treatment. Mm -hmm. So what we were doing is we were putting these plasma polymer thin coatings onto sand particles, just everyday sand particles. And this is an area called decentralised water treatment. So, you know, we all, well, we, a lot of us in developed countries turn on the tap and get water. Mm -hmm. And that's all good until there's a flood like they've had in places in Europe and then the whole water system is destroyed and even people 
you know, living in houses don't have clean water. So the idea is that these sand particles can be used to, fil to filter water. You might have it in a glass and you can use these sand particles to filter the water. So by putting these chemistries on the surface, we could attract different water contaminants out of it. And then I was working on some of that and my PhD student, he developed a nice hydrophobic coating. So that's a water hating coating. So if you think of something like a droplet of water and a droplet of oil, they don't mix because one is water loving and one is water hating. So by putting a water hating coating on these particles, we could actually extract oil and petrol out of water which is a huge issue if you've got things like oil spills and that so I'm proud of that project because I think we developed some really great technology would actually had some real world impact that sounds really cool and is that is I can imagine why you picked that this project as the one that that's a one of the ones uh, that is you're most proud of and is this technology being used uh, did it tra transfer from the lab bins to the market shelf we, we didn't actually commercialize it. And I'm just trying to, I was thinking about that. I'm like, why did we not? And I, I don't know whether it was just the way the technology, there's, it kind of wasn't, it was unique, but it wasn't super novel. Like we weren't the only ones doing it. So I guess okay. there's a suite of technologies. Like we, I feel like we progressed the technology, mm -hmm. but we kind of didn't, it wasn't patentable. And I think that's, that's the thing with a lot of commercial work is that it has to be a process that is, you know patentable because otherwise people aren't going to pay to make a product that someone else down the road can just do just as easily so it was kind of like assumed knowledge um but mm. i still think it was useful and if some you know if people can use it in a non-business way just to improve water quality i think that's a good outcome too absolutely yeah absolutely it is this is definitely cool and it's it sounds very simple once you like once when you say it is like yeah duh obviously I think that was the that was the case I think that's why you know when we talk to you know business people they're like well yeah duh like everybody knows that so yeah why we can't really make a product out of that but yeah okay okay well but I still think it's really really cool as this project is very very cool and I hope you talk about that uh, this project the details of the project uh, when you're curating the account yes. so that uh, I will. Maybe yeah, then you will get some interest. <laughs> some, we had some cool videos. We actually, on the very last day I was on that job, we had a um, TV show come in, like a, sci a children's science TV show. They came in and um, did a, um, a segment for that. And we've got some really cool videos of it, like pulling oil out of water. So it was really good. Uh, you still have those videos, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll have to find them, yeah. Okay, awesome, awesome. Would love to see those videos. So, um, Karen, it sounds to me that you really enjoy the, the the research aspect of being a scientist or being an engineer. But other than like, there are different aspects to uh, you as a as an engineer or a scientist, right? So, what else do you like about being a scientist other than research? For me, it's it's definitely the people, and the word that I use, especially now with the job that I do, is facilitate. So. While I do do my own research, the thing that I enjoy the most is helping other people with their research, facilitating their research. And, you know, I think there's all types of, all types of personalities in science. And, you know, there's some scientists that really love, you know, sitting in a basement lab on their own, you know, not being bothered by anybody. But that's not me. I, I love 
talking to people. I love talking to people about their research. I like meeting people and helping them out and things like that. So it's not something I think a lot of people generally think about when they think about being a scientist. You know, they've got this picture of scientist and, you know, a sociable, outgoing person who loves to talk is perhaps not what you picture as a scientist, but it's definitely the bonus of my job that I like the most is the variety of people I get to work with. Yeah, oh, that sounds really nice. That that is, uh, it's also relatable for me. Uh, so <laughs> I love that part as well. When I was an active researcher, so uh, Karen, you have uh, so far gained a lot of experience in your in your scientific career. So, what advice would you give uh, to the researchers starting out today, like students who are starting out today, or if you were to go back in time and talk to your uh, younger self, what advice would you give? The one piece of advice I always give is take opportunities to do summer projects and internships and things like that, because that's how I found out I wanted to do research. Um, So between, I think, uh, second and third year, I did a project in a a summer uh, job in a cement factory quality controller which was interesting and I learned a lot about how they look at cement but it was quality control it was very repetitive very sample you know these are your list of samples that you've got to look at today and then once you've done that and I found that quite boring like Mm -hmm. I just didn't and I always say the thing that I like about what I do is the variety is the variety that you know most of my days are different whether I'm in the lab whether I'm you know writing things like that and for me that sort of job was just too repetitive So then the next summer I did a summer research project in water quality. So that might have been indicative of how I ended up working in water quality. But, yeah, I just enjoyed that much more. I enjoyed the, like, having a problem to answer and having different things to do. It wasn't just the same thing day after day after day. And that's what kind of led me to thinking, okay, this is the type of job that I want. Okay, if I want to do a research job, I probably need a PhD. So, yeah, my... Yeah, number one piece of advice is do summer projects, do interns, work in different labs, all of those sort of things. So you can not just carve out the type of job that you want, whether it's research or quality control or R&D or all of those sort of things. But, yeah, also the type of job that you want. Do you want to work in a lab? Do you want to work at a university? Do you want to work at a, you know, I worked at a federal lab for two years. So just, yeah, take the opportunities you can and try not to get too locked into one thing too early and. Who knows where you'll end up? <laughs> That's a very, very fine piece of advice. Diversify your your lab experience and take opportunities. Yeah. Even if it sounds boring, I'm pretty sure you will learn something, some or the other thing on that. <laughs> Even if it's like, you know, like I spent yeah six weeks working working in the cement factory, and you know, it was I at the end like they asked me to stay on for even longer, and I was like, no, like I can't do this. But it, yeah, it taught me a lot, and now. 15 years later, I still talk about that experience. So Absolutely. And the, and the worst that would happen is that you will know what you don't want to do, uh, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> this sounds very familiar to my first internship. It was a winter internship for like a month or so in a steel uh, factory, like an iron and steel um, yeah factory where they had these huge furnaces and I was in the quality uh, assurance department, quality assurance of steel and stuff like that. Like, what is this? Um, but after that, I mean, I had I had fun for that one month. And after that one month, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I definitely don't want to do this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so you you learn you learn uh, things definitely. So take opportunity. That's a very very fine piece of advice. Um, Awesome. So Karen, I hope your research experience has been wonderful so far. It sounds like it has been wonderful and I hope it will be wonderful in the future as well. However, if you had three wishes to improve your research experience, what would you ask for? And I'm not promising anything here, okay? <laughs> oh, that's a pity. Sorry. Yeah, so this was again interesting, really interesting to think about. So I think what probably a lot of researchers say is stability of funding that, you know, I think it seems like nice to move around and it is but you know it is really hard especially if I you know feel for people who want to stay with their families who have children you know all of those sort of things that sometimes you do just have to move around where the jobs go so I think having the option of stable funding I think is is definitely benefit and you know we lose a lot of people a lot of well-educated well-trained people just because there's no stability of funding mm. so that's definitely I think the number one for me um, the second one is work-life perception. So I've been saying this for many, many years, is that I love being a scientist. I don't love it 80 hours a week. And I feel like a lot of scientists these days feel like they need to work really long hours. And it's kind of this continually moving bar is that while there are scientists who work the long hours, they're much more productive, they get more papers, they get more grants, they supervise more students. And then other people see that and they think, okay, that's what I need to do to get ahead. And then the bar lifts for, you know, the expectations. And, you know, there's lots of, you know, older scientists who say, I would never get a postdoc. I would never get a grant. I would never get a job now because the expectation of the output is just so much higher than what it used to be. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how to solve that, but it's just something I've noticed is that people just feel like they have to work really long hours to be a successful scientist and I, I would really love to see that change mm -hmm. and the third thing I said is the ordering process at my university I hate I just ordered a chemical and I hate it and I just spent so long and I just the administrative things that sometimes we have to go through to be able to do our job it's just like that's got to be an easy way of doing this so yeah that, I would love I would love just to have some sort of like magical fairy who just gets me the things I need and I don't have to fill out a form or get finance approval or get the head of school to sign off on it or things like that. <laughs> All three very fine wishes, uh, job stability, work-life perception. That's a very, very important uh, word, I think. We call we, we often talk about work-life balance, but the perception is that what well, exactly what you mentioned, that people think that the scientists today think that they have to work 80 hours and then it's like this chicken and egg, like who stops it? <laughs> You have to break that cycle somewhere. So perception needs to change. You're absolutely right. And the ordering process. Um, well, um, yeah, I hope it comes to the point where you can just write an email or just think about, okay, this is what I want to order and it just appears uh, exactly. in one week or two weeks time, however long the delivery is. All very fine wishes. I hope they all come true. Um, <laughs> I, I really, really hope they do come true. And this has been wonderful, Karen, talking to you, learning about you, learning about your science. But before we let you go, we have one last question for you. And that is the um, interesting year that uh, interesting times that we are living in. Uh, the year 2020 is when it all started, at least for Europe. Um, most of the world and also spilled over in 2021. Uh, so what are your learnings from this very unprecedented times that we are living in so i learned a few things i learned that lockdowns are really good for paper writing 
So like a lot of academics, I had a bit of a paper backlog. Um, So we needed permission to go on campus during Melbourne's lockdowns in 2020, uh, which I decided not to. So I just decided to stay at home and prioritise paper writing. And I feel like a lot of my collaborators did as well because I've got more 2020 2021 publications than any other year in the past. So so that's been good. Um, I feel like I, I know how I work better now. Like I'm very much a nine to five kind of person and I've kept that up in working from home. Um, whereas I've got friends who, you know, worked less hours but over more days, you know, so they could have, feel free in the afternoons to go and do things. So I feel like a lot of me included have, have worked, I've learnt how we work and that kind of feeds into that working from home so I guess a lot of like a lot of people I probably won't go back to being in the office five days a week that mm-hmm. you know I'll go in you know three days a week to do my lab work and then you know, probably spend a couple of days a week a oh, couple of days a week at home um doing you know paperwork and paper writing and things like that I feel like it's a it's a good balance um especially when you're commuting and things like that so I, I yeah I learned I learned about how I work um in, mm-hmm. in 20 20- uh-huh okay okay wow thank you very much for sharing those learnings and paper writing um, uh, lockdowns are very good for paper writing that's a very positive um <laughs> outcome of the lockdowns one of the positive outcomes let's let me put it that way uh so thank you very much karen uh, it has, this has been wonderful looking forward to having you on real scientist nano excellent thank you very much Thank you for listening. To know more about us, please visit our website realscientistsnano.org and follow us on Twitter at realsci_nano.